of a psalm of David put to music. And throughout this series, we will utilize those as part of our reflection time together. Do you ever just look at a passage of scripture, especially a psalm, and just try to come to solid understanding of the greatness of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I love the uh, background of that video with the picture of the of the stars we come in our study this morning to the famous and often quoted story of David and his battle and his victory against the Philistine giant Goliath this story is told in chapter 17 of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. As I've studied and prepared in the last several days, it seems that there is a bit of a difference in the order of events than it would be if you just read chapter after chapter in 1 Samuel. And so let me give us a little logistics instruction here. Most scholars believe that the events of this chapter, David's victory over Goliath, occur before David finds his way into the courts of the king to minister to him in music, which we talked about last week in chapter 16. Unfortunately, last week, I hadn't read the part that said that chapter 17 actually becomes before chapter 16. So, anyway. Nevertheless, the important things here are the lessons learned from David's life and experiences. And then looking at the Psalms that he wrote, we can draw truth and inspiration from these biblical texts. So as a reminder, through this series, we will look at uh, a story of an occurrence in David's life, a period of time in David's life, and then we'll look at one of the Psalms that, that he wrote. You okay? All right. We're going to look this morning at David's victory over Goliath. And then the psalm I've chosen for the day that we read the first couple of verses of, Psalm 68. So let's look at this remarkable story that is so familiar and so famous ever since our Sunday school days. And rather than read the entire biblical text this morning, we're going to look at the basic highlights at the story. We're going to look at a Reader's Digest condensed version of the story of David and Goliath this morning. The account of the story, as I mentioned, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We find that the Philistines and the Israelites found themselves on the edge of the beginning of war. 
Seems like during this period in the history of Israel, they were battling against this foe and that foe, and there was warfare against this enemy and that enemy. The Philistines were on one hill, and the Israelites were on another hill with a valley in between. Can you visualize that? When I think of a couple of hills in a valley, I grew up in a valley in central Pennsylvania, and there was a hill on each side. I think the Philistines were up toward Red Lion, and the Israelites were over toward Winterstown. It's just kind of the way I think. Then out of the Philistine camp emerged a man of immense stature. This was Goliath, a warrior of gargantuan proportions. And scholars say that Goliath was over nine feet tall. This was a big boy. He was covered head to toe with heavy armor. And, and to all who would look, he represented just an invincible force that could not be conquered. His size in itself was intimidating. I can't imagine a man nine feet tall. Have you ever been around NFL football players? A number of years ago, I was involved in an event down at the, uh, down at the Coliseum, and uh, Anthony Munoz had gotten involved in, in that event. He's a Christian brother and tends to support things around our city. And we got a picture of our little Elizabeth with Anthony Munoz. How old, Rana? Three? Wasn't even that. Okay, she was pretty tiny. Anthony Munoz held our little Lizzie in the palm of his hand. <laughs> Like a little, like a little teacup doll. There was this Anthony Munoz's hands. When you would shake his hand, would just. Those are big men that play that game. <laughs> I always liked the Chicago Bears player that they used to call the Fridge. Fridge. See, it was the size of a refrigerator. And not one of these dorm room refrigerators. My friends just got a stainless steel two door with the. Anyway, the fridge. Goliath was the fridge of warriors. And he struck fear into all who would gaze upon him for 40 days say 40 days anything Bible there yeah for 40 days Goliath taunted the Israelites challenging them to send out a champion to battle him in combat We can see those 40 days and each of his challenges 
as a failure of the Israelite army. We could also see it as an opportunity for somebody to step up. It all depends on how you look at it. It was just a matter of the right guy showing up, wasn't it? Failure or opportunity? Disappointment or victory? And for Israel, listen, captivity or, or, or freedom? Daily, he would come out, he would march out into the valley, and he would, and he would taunt the Israelites. You NFL fans, you're not allowed to do that anymore. They throw a flag if you taunt. They didn't throw any flags with Goliath. Day after day, he came out, and basically he was saying, so where is this great God that you proclaim to serve, that you proclaim that he empowers you. Where is this great God of yours? He taunted them. And friends, the stakes were high. The outcome of this one-on-one -on -one fight would determine the fate of both nations. Yet no Israelite, say no Israelite, no Israelite dared take up the challenge. The mere sight of Goliath sent waves of fear throughout their ranks. Can you blame him? He was a giant of a man. Seasoned in combat, trained. Against whom even the bravest warrior would think twice, probably three times, before going out to battle. Did I mention the right guy was going to come along? So here comes young David. Not a soldier, a shepherd. Not a soldier by profession, but someone who had developed an unwavering faith in God. David was appalled when Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. What made David mad about Goliath? That he was defying his God. That he was defying the great God of the universe, whom David, listen, whom David had a relationship with, whom David had learned to love, whom David had learned to write songs about his awesome and great power. And so, I don't know, I don't know how many he had written by this point. None of us know that. But we know that in the heart and in the mind of David was deeply implanted the greatness of God. And so when David comes upon this scene and hears the words of the defiant Goliath, he was appalled 
that a man would say these things against the great creator, Jehovah God. That's what ticked David off. So he decided, okay, I'll show him. He, he decided to face Goliath. He decided to step up when no one else would step up. He decided to be God's man when none of the others would be God's man. He decided, listen, he decided to act in faith, to act in confidence when none other would. He decided to face Goliath, to challenge this obnoxious giant of a man. And then there's King Saul. Who was out there with the army? Upon seeing the confidence of this young man, King Saul, who by the way was not brave enough to go out and fight Goliath himself, Amen. number one says, you're out of your mind, David. But then he decides to loan his own battle clothes and gear to the young man to help him in battle. And this is one of the, I, I know people are chuckling, this is one of the cartoon character kind of frames in the Bible. Is David with Saul's armor on. David realized immediately that all of this heavy armor was not right for him in battle. Listen, these were not David's weapons. I want you to grab that sentence. These were not David's weapons. So he returns the shield. He gives the helmet back to the king. He puts the sword back in its sheath and hands it back to King Saul. He returns the wrong weapons. David knows where his strength is. These were not David's weapons. So he returns the shield. He returns the sword. He returns all of the armor. But with a simple sling and five smooth stones from a stream, David walked out to confront the giant. By the way, some of David's brothers were looking on. Essentially, they were going, 
What's he doing here? One of them decided to taunt him a little bit and say, the only reason you came out here was to see the spectacle of the battle. You just wanted to be a spectator. Say spectator. Any Civil War students here? There's a very interesting story from the early days of the Civil War. When the first battles began to occur between the Union Army and the Confederate Army, they occurred not far from Washington, D.C., in a little town called Manassas. And some of the elite society of Washington, D.C. decided they'd go out and watch the war. Be a nice, be a nice spectator sport. And they took their buggies, the ladies in their finery, the men in their hats and suits, and their horse and buggies, and they made their way out into the Virginia countryside to watch the war. Well, as soon as blood started to fly, as soon as cannon shells started to, near, started to land near to the proximity of their horses and carriages, what did they do? They hightailed it back to Washington. War is not a spectator sport. The folks in the early part of the Civil War didn't understand that. You can read that story in a wonderful book of the, uh, uh, of, of the, of the history of the Civil War called Lee's Lieutenants. It's a detailed story of the Civil War. Out goes David, not a spectator. Not a spectator. He has a sling. He has five smooth stones. How many did he need? He needed one. I think stones from a stream are significant biblical symbols. Children of Israel make their way across the Jordan in dry ground. They take stones from the stream and under God's instruction, they piled them up on the bank, on the river shore. Twelve of them. One for each of the twelve tribes. Do you remember this story? They pile them up on the shore. God, why would we do this? God says to them, so that every time you come across this spot, you say to your kids, here's what God did in this place. Amen. Stones of remembrance. One of David's stones ended up being the effective stone of battle. Four of them were stones of remembrance. I think David tucked them onto his mantle at home. One victorious stone, four of remembrance. With a single stone from his sling, David struck Goliath squarely in the forehead, 
with a thud, Goliath fell straight down on his face. And yuck, Goliath had his head lopped off and displayed for all of Israel to see. The mighty Goliath fell, defeated by a shepherd boy who trusted not in physical strength, but in the power of God. He trusted not in physical strength, but in the power of God. Hold it, I remember a verse that said, man looks on the physical appearance, but God looks on the heart. David knew where his strength came from, and he knew what weapons were not his and were his. There's a deep lesson here, folks. There's a deep lesson. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. What a wonderful, inspiring story of faith. No wonder this story's been told over and over to all generations since. So I searched famous quotes about the story of David and Goliath. The motivational speakers of the world have it wrong. They say that the story of David and Goliath teaches us that we can all win in the little things of life. And completely skip over David's complete and total dependence on his God. There are some good lessons there to learn. Confidence is an okay thing, amen? Confidence is okay. Unless your confidence is in the wrong thing. I think the motivational speakers, and you can go ahead and look some up, I think they've got it wrong. But I'd like to give you a few lessons from Pastor Scott, today's motivational speaker, on the story of David and Goliath. It isn't just a historical account of an extraordinary event. It's a treasure chest of wisdom and faith and inspiration that can continue to impact our lives today. Here are some of the key lessons from motivational speaker, Pastor Scott. Number one, David's trust was in the Lord his God. <laughs> we could stop. David's unwavering faith in God was the cornerstone of his courage. Listen, David's unwavering faith in his God was the cornerstone of his courage. He believed, listen, David believed in his whole heart that God was with him. This belief turned a young shepherd into a fearless warrior capable of taking down a giant. As he told Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. 1 Samuel 17, that's verse 45. Isn't it empowering to realize the strength that faith can give us? Have you had occasions in your life where you've been strengthened 
by your faith? I hope you have. I hope you had some this week. <laughs> wow, just thought of this. Pastor Jim Burchett, pastor of the Day Spring Church, when Ron and I arrived there, and I pretty quickly got involved in the music there. And I also pretty quickly found out that Pastor Jim Burchett wanted his favorite song song regularly. His song song? His song song. He wanted his favorite song sung in the church routinely. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Not a bad song for one of your favorites. I don't know if David knew that song or not. David marched out there with the knowledge of the greatness of his God. David's trust was in the Lord. When all the odds are stacked against us, faith can be what guides us to victory. Faith is simply believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Come on. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Goliath relied on his physical strength and his armor and his weapons and his training in contrast David trusted God's power in 1 Samuel 17 47 David says all those gathered here will know say all will know listen all will know everybody's gonna see what is about to happen David is downright cocky almost like Dr. Frizzell who said, I'm going to fix your heart and you're going to feel better. I'm going to fix your heart and you're going to feel better. All those gathered here will know that it is not, oh, I love this, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. That's the faith of David. The confidence of David. This lesson reminds us that human strength and abilities have limits. Human strength has limits. God's power is limitless. Human strength has limits. God's power is limited. The next time your strength fails you, be reminded that your strength is limited. Yes. 
but also be reminded that the God who you serve, the God in whom you trust, is, lim- is unlimited. His strength is unlimited. It's limitless. In your own battles, any of you have any battles? In your own battles, have you considered relying not just on your own strength, but also in seeking God's help? Or is it a last resort when you're about to give up? You can lower your anxiety level if you can start to trust God from the beginning of a battle instead of around the end of a battle. Instead of after 40 days of challenge, waiting for the number for the one day after that of victory, instead of after 40 days of frustration, instead of after 40 days of no answers, start at the beginning, friend. Don't wait. Am I all right, brother dude? Don't wane in your strength. Listen to this. Don't wane in your own intelligence. Don't wane in your own intelligence. You might not be able to figure it out. You very, very much might not be able to figure it out. Secondly, man, that was a long point. Sorry. David acted with courage in the face of overwhelming odds. David was not a trained warrior. He was a shepherd. Most of the time, David's days were filled with quiet days on the hillsides. Remember I talked to you about the woodshed last week? In the woodshed, learning to play his lyre. Taking saxophone lessons. Yet when everyone else ran in fear, David showed amazing courage by standing up to Goliath, didn't he? No one else in the camp, no one else in the camp thought that David would beat Goliath. No one else in the camp thought that David would beat Goliath. This teaches us a fundamental truth. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to move forward despite it. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to move forward despite it. What could we accomplish? What could you accomplish? What could we push through if despite our fears, we moved forward believing that God is with us? God is with us. It's been written... It has been said and written that Goliath is always easier to defeat when we have faith as our sling and truth as our stone. Faith as our sling and truth as our stone. Remember what I said? Saul's weapons were the wrong weapons. Number three, David had great confidence. David had great confidence. One of the striking aspects of David's character was his strong belief in his abilities. He didn't see himself just as a shepherd. 
Instead, he saw a potential warrior within himself. When King Saul doubted David's abilities, David responded, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Amen. 1 Samuel 17, starting in 34. David teaches us a valuable lesson about believing in ourselves and our God-given abilities. Don't underestimate what God has taught you to do, what God has prepared you to do, what God has empowered you to do. Self-doubt. Self-doubt is what often holds us back from taking on our challenges. If we can believe that we can do it, with our faith and our trust in God like David, we can conquer our Goliaths. <laughs> Mark Twain is known to have said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. <laughs> Sounds like Mark Twain, doesn't it? It's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Number four, David saw beyond the physical, beyond the physical. Goliath was a physical giant of a man. But David saw beyond, say saw beyond. Saw beyond his size. David saw beyond his armor. David saw beyond his sword. David perceived Goliath's arrogance as defiance against God. And that made him vulnerable. The daunting image of Goliath was enough in itself to strike fear into King Saul and the whole army of Israel. David teaches us that our challenges, no matter how impossible they look on the surfaces, our challenges have weaknesses. You don't think of challenges as having weaknesses, do you? But they do. The next time you face a challenge, I want you to find its weakness with the help of God. Find the weakness of that challenge and press through. Have you ever thought about looking beyond the obvious to find a solution? By seeing the situation with a heavenly perspective rather than an earthly physical perspective, we can move through problems and difficulties with success, with confidence, and with faith. Remember, we talked about either having a heavenly perspective or having a worldly perspective. Same applies here. If your eyes are on the challenge of the, of the physical, you will fail. If your eyes are on God's possibilities, you will be victorious. Number five. I like this one. David overcomes public opinion. David's elder brothers, his own flesh and blood, his elder brothers, criticized him and accused him of having wrong motives for wanting to fight Goliath. As I said earlier, no one in the camp thought that this young shepherd could defeat this great giant. No one in the camp thought that the young shepherd could defeat the great giant. 
The poll of public opinion did not think that David could win. However, David did not let their negative opinions deter him from purpose. Teaches us that we must trust our convictions and not let other opinions hold us back. How often have you let the fear of others' opinions stop you from taking action? Have you ever been told you're not good enough? You're not big enough? You're not strong enough? Have you ever been told you are not qualified? Friend, God is preparing you and has prepared you to face anything you will come up against. You are a warrior and you are able to be victorious in the power of your God. You don't sound convinced. Despite what those around you say, you have been given in your God everything you need to press forward. Listen, to press forward with what he has called you to. David's calling was to bonk Goliath in the head and chop his head off. And God gave him everything he needed to be victorious. Despite what everybody said. Say despite. Steve, I like that word. That's a good word. That's a good word. Despite. Despite what they all said. Don't you, don't you dare be one on the despite side. I'll, I'll stop there. Don't be one of the despiters. Is this, can despite be a verb? Like gospeling despiters? Can you be a despiter? Anyway. Nobody in the camp, nobody in the court of public opinion believed that David could win this battle. But the most important person believed, and that was David. Number six, David battled with the weapons God had given him. David had the option to wear King Saul's armor, remember? But he chose not to because he was not accustomed to it. Instead, he used the skills he had honed as a shepherd, primarily his slingshot. This story underlines the importance of recognizing and using our unique God-given skills and abilities rather than trying to imitate others. Are there unique skills that you possess that God has given you that could, you could be using to tackle your Goliaths? But even more importantly, what are the weapons that we are given as Christians to fight our war? Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 6 about the war that we're engaged in as Christians. 6 and 10, finally... Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You know this passage. Put on the full armor of God. Not the full armor of Saul. Say, not the full armor of Saul. I want you to get this this morning. I want you to understand this this morning. Don't fight battles with the wrong weapons. 
And I think people do. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. That's who we're battling. That's our Goliath. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, say therefore. Boy, we love that word. Therefore, put on the full armor of Saul. No. Put on the full armor of God so that when that day comes, when there's one army on the one hill and another army on the other hill and you're being taunted, when that day comes, you may be able to, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, and, and here are the weapons. The belt of leather and brass. The belt buckled around your waist, the belt of truth. Have truth on your side. Stand firm. Stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace in addition to this take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God don't pick up the armor of Saul to fight a spiritual battle. Go home. If you, don't, if you don't remember a word that I said, if we finish with that, don't try to, sp to fight, to battle the spiritual enemies with earthly weapons. As I read and studied and meditated on this passage, there was one thing that kept coming to the forefront of my, of my thinking. That is that the war we are engaged in cannot be fought with the wrong weapons. You can't fight battles with someone else's abilities and weapons and skills. You can't fight battles with somebody else's skills. Please hear me this morning. If we attempt to fight the battles with the enemy in the spiritual realm, we will only get frustrated and will not get to a place of victory. We, will, we, we need to remember that we are not fighting people. We are not fighting people. We are not fighting people. We are called to love people. We fight against evil. We fight against immorality. We fight against sin. We fight against lies. But we do not fight against people. Sometimes it's hard to draw that line. I think one of the most 
hard to figure out practicality things that has been said in the church a lot in the last couple of years is this hate the sin but love the sinner hate the sin but love the sinner we're not fighting people we're fighting the spiritual battles of the spiritual realm of the enemy mm. I want to help us to practically understand that when you have a choice to criticize, when you have a choice to knock someone down, use the truth of God's word instead of harsh, hurting words. That's one thing that can help us here. We're to love people. You can't fight spiritual battles with earthly weapons. Pastor Dude, am I all right? Amen. Had David went out to march to fight with Goliath in Saul's armor, he would have failed miserably. He would have been all sweated up and all, and all tired and barely able to drag himself out there by the time he even got out to the valley. David couldn't fight this battle with the weapons that Saul wanted to give him. You can't fight, listen, you can't fight these battles with earthly weapons. You'll fail. You'll get frustrated. You'll get discouraged. Listen. <laughs> Clothe yourself with those weapons we talked about. Clothe yourself with righteousness. Clothe yourself with truth. Clothe yourself with salvation. Clothe yourself with the gospel of peace. Those are the weapons. Whew. Almost ten till. My goodness, Scott. I chose a psalm for us to glance at this morning that David wrote. It's Psalm 68. I think as David was writing this and other psalms, he was thinking of the victory that God had given him in his life so many times. Not just this victory that we read about today, but other victories as the king and the great warrior. Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands, was what they would proclaim. Look at Psalm 68, verse 1, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him, say may. The psalm we looked at last week also included this word at the beginning, may. It's it's a, it's, it's a prayer of blessing of sorts. It's a, it's a prayer of sorts of, of may God be successful. May God, may God win. I want to say may his kingdom come. May his will be done. Verse 2, may you blow them away like smoke. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. You know what David's saying here? What he's saying here, he is saying, friends, it's no problem for God to defeat his enemies. 
Look at verse 3. But, say but. <laughs> but may the righteous be glad and... I'm glad we started our service with that this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say... Those who see victory in their lives because of the power of God have all kinds of reasons to be joyful. Rejoice. Be glad. Rejoice. Rejoice before God. Let Him see. Let Him hear your rejoicing. May they be happy. Say happy. I'm all right with that, huh? They, I, I think David is saying, may the, may the generation after generation after generation of those who follow after Jehovah God, may they find, may they find joy and happiness in living, listen, in living a life with Jehovah God. Why? Because David had found it. David had found victory. David had found inspiration. David had found weaponry, didn't he? We're going to see later that he also found forgiveness. Look at verse 4. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. I want to stop here for a moment. Singing is an important part of a life of worship. You may say, Pastor Scott, I don't have a good voice. Nobody would want to hear me sing. That's not the important thing here. The important thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning is that we praise God outside beyond our normal modes of communication. I haven't said this to you before. Entering into the mode of praise and of worship takes us outside of our normal mode of communicate, communicating on the earthly level. We begin to communicate on the heavenly level. Singing to glorify God takes us beyond the physical into a more spiritual sense of praise. I believe that. The word extol is used here, E-X-T-O-L. Extol is defined as to praise enthusiastically, to give high praise, to glorify. In the Bible, it has meanings such as to applaud, to give honor, to exalt the Lord our God. We exalt the Lord our God with our voices as we exclaim his greatness. Singing helps us to do that. Exalt, extol, are words of worship. Words of worship. And another one is found next. Rejoice. Rejoice is a word of worship. God's okay with us rejoicing. God smiles. God smiles at his children rejoicing in him. Rejoicing is linked with singing praise, with exalting and glorifying our God. When we lift him up, we find that we are lifted up. When we lift him up, we find that we are lifted up. When you lift him up, you will find that you are lifted up. Don't you love that? We go into rejoicing mode. 
I love verse 5 and 6 and 7. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain, before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel, you gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. When we worship by giving on a Sunday morning, I like to pray and remind us to be thankful of God's blessing in our lives, of God's provision in our lives. And then I skip down to verse 32. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. To him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with mighty voice, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel. Say majesty. There's a word of worship, friend. Word of worship. Whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome. There's a word of worship, friend. Awesome. We use it too much for things that aren't so awesome. I'm here to tell you our God is awesome. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to our God. Amen. Amen.